Welcome. Glad to have you. Today we are in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, we have been traveling the state. Last night we were in Wausau, got over to La Crosse late last night, uh, up this morning, and today we are at uh, the golf course at Cedar Creek in La Crosse. So uh, enjoying the day today. We have uh, a uh, golf outing uh, this afternoon with our friends from Tobacco Outlet Plus Grocery and Quick Trip and a cigar dinner coming up here a little bit later on tonight. So good to be with you and good to see some uh, good folks over here that stopped over earlier to say hello uh, at the, uh, the golf course here in lacrosse so good stuff there brewers get a win last night propelled by ben kenny did you notice what happened last night in the ball game yes i did bill and i'm here to face the music uh props to hunter enfro that was a terrific bunt <laughs> i even bill i would have liked to see yelich lay one down the inning before uh it was one of right. those games where you know it made a little bit of sense i'll face the music i deserve it great move good win there you go so the Brewers get a win now. I was on this morning with uh, our our buddy Ernie Betts over in Viroqua, and he said, "Wow, the, the Brewers are off uh, to a good you know good run now." Here, let me let me slow the roll for just a second because I'm not here to be the bucket of cold water on the Brewers' win last night. Whatever you do with that win today is kind of how your roll goes. You're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher, and what you do today will determine how big of a win that was last night. Um, if you come out and you're on fire today, and even if it's a hard-fought game, and God forbid you lose, but even if you lose, and say it's a five-to-four ball game, and it's a back-and-forth and clutch hitting, and you know you just you just you just get one inning where it just doesn't get you. Oh, okay, you, it's hard-fought. If you come out today and get blanked eight to nothing, then last night's win it, it carries zero momentum, zero. So it's all how you uh, kind of respond tonight. Uh, I'm looking forward to the game uh, because it's going to keep me company on the way home. Uh, coming back from lacrosse but uh you know what you do tonight and what you do tomorrow are the two biggest factors in how big of a win that was from last night what that does for you because let's just say you split with the dodgers and then you win two out of three against the cubs and say then you go into la and just steal one you get two out of three against the dodgers that win last night is huge huge if you turn around today and you get beat eight to nothing and lose a tough game on on thursday five to four and so you lose three out of four to the Dodgers. Well, that come-from-behind win in extras doesn't mean anything. And God forbid you go and lose two out of three to the Cubs and then lose two out of three to the Dodgers again. Well, all of a sudden you find yourself four or five games back in the standings. And coming in uh, to the second half of August into September, it's almost insurmountable at that point. And you've pretty much played your way out of the postseason. So the next five, six, seven games, really vital for the Milwaukee Brewers, but it's how you respond today as to how big that win last night was. So uh, I'm just, that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on, uh, on the edge of my seat this evening uh, in anticipation of that game. And then it happened. Do you know what I'm talking about, Ben? Denilson Lamette allowing the Cardinals to walk off in the bottom of the ninth. No. No. Patrick Reed suing it the golf happened. channel because he's a cheater? No, that's not a good, good guess. Both. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that's guesses. happening. There's a lot of stuff that's happening, but it happened. I didn't think it would happen this early, but it happened. Do we have the actual clip? Because I know we do. Yes, we do. I now know what this please, is referring to. Please play it. It actually happened. 
Do you have it ready at the ready at your fingertips? Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's good we do it in practice. So uh, it's unfortunately some of the same guys. That that's you know repeat mistakes are a problem. So we just got to clean those things up a little bit. The young guys, you know, they got to especially young receivers. We got to be way more consistent. You know, a lot of a lot of drops, a lot of uh, you know bad route decisions, run the wrong route. So we gotta we gotta get better in that area, but I felt like the line for the most part held up pretty good, which was which was good to see. Yeah, it happened. Aaron Rodgers talking about the young guys and not being on the same page and some of the problems they're having and it. Uh, I, man, I've got when I heard it, there is nothing there that Aaron Rodgers said that's erroneous. Nothing. He's 100% correct. The issue that you have and I have was when you're talking about being on the same page and guys needing concentration and working with guys, and I go back to the comment of, well, I don't have to be there. Randall's going to coach him up. That was stated. Randall's going to coach him up. Randall's like a coach in the film room. All right. But working with Aaron Rodgers, the big difference was Aaron Rodgers was on a beach doing hallucinogenic tea, feeling a hundred hands on his body and learning the real meaning of love versus Russell Wilson, who was bringing guys to his home, throwing passes in his backyard, trying to just get in their heads and talk to them about concentration, about certain things they need to do. And I'm not saying Russell Wilson's right over Aaron Rodgers. What I'm saying is you look at what Tom Brady did a couple of years ago. We brought everybody onto a high school so they could get a jump start on the OTAs, the mini camps, and training camp. Um, Sometimes, especially in a transitional period, if you are the leader, the leader needs to be there. So, again, I've stated it time and again, I don't care about the regular season. I care about the postseason. But if this is the groundwork that's being laid for the postseason, the path to success is paved with the stones of hard work and effort. And I, I've always believed that, and especially if you are in a leadership position. And so it didn't take very long. Now, maybe this is calculated. Maybe this is, hey, guys, I know it's long practices. I know we've been beating up on one another. We're starting to get beat up now by another team. We see where we're lacking, and it's time for me to crack the whip. It could be calculated. So I'm going to wait and see. But I did not expect the, uh, you know, hey, it's the same guys running wrong routes, dropping balls, concentration, getting on the same page comments to come out before even game two of the preseason. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, it's it's. I find it interesting. Uh, Chris says, thank God 12 has four MVP awards. He knows what's best for him. Great leadership. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, the Pac fan says the 100 hands of love. Uh, and the ayahuasca the tea was in late February, early March. Yeah, okay. Doesn't matter. You get my point. Complicated dude, man. So, anyway, uh, I just uh, I felt that that comment was, it, it raised my ears right away when I heard it. I thought, oh, man, here we go. Going to start blaming the young guys for not being on the same page and not having concentration and all the mistakes that they make when some of this stuff could have been discussed a lot earlier 
than right now. Uh, but, again, like I said, it could be a calculated move just to start to crack the whip to say, hey, I know we're in the midst of and doldrums of the, uh, the, the training camp season. So maybe he wanted to just say, hey, we can't let up now. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting comment. So the Packers back on the practice field against the New Orleans Saints today. We've got Aaron Rodgers we are going to hear from. Part of it you heard there, but he had a re- I, I, honestly he had a really good press presser yesterday. He had a fun presser yesterday. I'm sure you've probably seen it on many of the highlight reels by now that somebody had sent him a a, a bust that was in his locker. Didn't know who sent it, uh, but somebody had sent it to him. Uh, this little bust in his locker, and you'll hear the explanation coming up uh, of Nicholas Cage and such. And uh, you know he'll talk about that. Talks about uh, the progress so far. But it was really good. It was really good stuff overall. But that was the one snippet that I went, ah, there it is. There it is. Oh, okay, now. Now we can uh, all move on because now it's the blame game of it's everybody else and it's not uh, their concentration and uh, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but uh, but so you've got – now, Ben, what else is on your mind today, by the way? There's a lot. you reeled off a few things. That you reeled off a few things that uh, have already got you perturbed. Uh, well, here's the thing. I spent last night, I had the Brewers game on. I watched Hard Knocks as well. Good episode. I I couldn't focus on the Brewers game, though, because I was reading 40 to 50 pages of legal documents about uh, now live golfer Patrick Reed suing the Golf Channel for $750 million uh, in a defamation lawsuit about how this guy, Brandel Shambly, called him a cheater. He thinks it's ruined his career. Uh, the, the lawsuit is quite hilarious, and the situation is. So I, my mind might not be on the same things that everyone else's mind, you know, is. And the Dennis and the Met thing mm-hmm. I, I saw when I went to sleep, that just that situation just kind of gets worse and worse, right? Like he goes to the Rockies, yeah. he pitches six scoreless innings, and then he faces the Cardinals and allows them to walk it off. Right. I uh, f- Going back to the golf comments, uh, first of all, Patrick Reed, okay, whatever. If, if, how, uh, here's the question. Okay, when he is called a cheater, what, first of all, was that term specifically used? Yes. And secondly, okay, so he was called a cheater. Did he cheat? Yes, multiple times. Okay. So he has no case. I mean, in defamation suits and all that kind of stuff, it's always about one. What it's not only what you say; it's what the intent of what you say is meant to cause. So you can be, if you scream fire in a crowded theater, and people get trampled on the way out, you're ultimately responsible for that. Now, if there is a true fire in the sense of it is on fire, you are one hundred percent right in what you say it's misleading if you see somebody light up a cigarette next to you and they use a big lighter to do it and while it does create fire if you scream out fire and people get trampled to death but it's not on fire it is a literal fire that you see so yes you are technically correct but your intent was to cause panic or to lie or to have people perceive something else that is defamation and that is something that is slanderous and such if you get the if you get the comparison. So now when they called him a cheater, was it meant to say, this guy's a cheater? Or was it meant to harm his career? That's what's that's what has to be determined. Yeah. And the, technically, if you're cor- correct in calling him a cheater and he is cheating, 
then there's there's really no case there. Oh, the fun here. Unless you meant to do it to, 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 to derive him of any ability to make money. The fun here is not about the case because a guy he hired has not won a defamation case in his entire career, which is quite funny. Uh, <laughs> the fun is in the language, like Reed complaining that people would call him the excavator because he would move sand in front of his ball in the bunker. Uh, it's it's just a, a the yeah. twists and turns it takes. He's talking crap about Skip Bayless. Uh, everybody's brought into it. It's It was quite funny. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, Skip Bayless is an idiot, and we all pretty much can 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 understand that. And if you want to go after Skip Bayless, that's fine. But you'd have to go after Skip Bayless for damn near everything he says that falls out of his head because I, there's no way he can 100% believe all the insanity that he he drooled people. Um, but, yeah, that's <laughs> – I started reading a little bit of that. I didn't get too deep into it. I was more interested in the Tiger Woods getting into Wilmington, Delaware – the site of this week's BMW Championship, and meeting with a a group of players to discuss the future of the PGA Tour and how it might be, you know, as they called it, strengthened uh, against Liv, so to speak. And, um, you know, he and Ricky Fowler and a bunch of others, um, you know, they, they were talking about all of this, and Tiger was bringing up examples of other players. And and so anyway, long story short, I it's easy for Tiger, and I've said this before, it's easy for Tiger. Tiger right now is today's version of Jack Nicholas. He's got that that something. He's got that not only does he have the majors, but he's got that something. He's got that level of respect. No matter what he's done in his life to this point, he has pretty much overcome it. So he's got that level. The problem is when you are being approached by the Live Tour for $150 million dollars, as a younger player on tour or what have you, and or whatever amount of money they want to throw out, and a guy that is standing up pointing the finger at you saying, don't go, we need to be on the same page and solidify, but yet that guy is worth $750 million and has no reason monetarily to jump to the live group, it's difficult to follow his lead. It's more respectable to have a guy like Jack Nicholas stand up there who has not made that amount of money in his playing career and say, I believe in the traditions that that is the PGA. And as old school meets new school, I think we should stand together, band together and stay strong against live. That would be the way to go. Plus he turned down a ton of money to be the commissioner of live and the face of live. So with, with tiger gathering everybody, that's great. The tiger's doing that. Don't get me wrong. He's taking a stand which I think is what a lot of people wanted him to do. But it's not the easiest thing to follow a guy down the primrose path of I'm going to turn down all that money because when you've already made all of your money. So it's easier for him to say, don't do this, as opposed to other players who may be saying, I've only made a million bucks in my career and I need to make 40 million bucks or 50 million bucks or 100 million bucks in my career to live the way I want to live or to do the things I want to do or to be set up for me and my family for years and years and decades and, you know, generations to come. And where I could take one big score and get it versus toiling away in anonymity maybe for a long period of time on the PGA Tour and hoping that one day I really begin to break through. So uh, I I just found that really, really interesting. Uh, And I know the meeting was held at that off-course, what they called an off-course hotel, I think is what they stated, and it was about three and a half hours, and a lot of the top stars were there, and Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Tiger, and everybody. So 
Uh, we'll see. We'll see what kind of effect it has uh, on the PGA Tour. So anyway, but that's kind of some of the headlines that we're dealing with, uh, you know, here today. Uh, let's do this. We're going to step away. We're going to take a quick break. Come back. We are broadcasting live at the golf course at Cedar Creek. We're in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And if you're watching over on the Bud Light live stream, beautiful day today here. Uh, a few clouds in the sky and uh, all the golf carts are lined up and a little bit of an outing later today. But uh, it's beautiful out here. Really, really nice. And uh, over on the patio, that's where I was set up last year. Uh, the problem is is that the sun beats down on you, and it got hot. So this year, I decided to stay inside. Nice, air-conditioned, got a TV in here. I'm good to go. Uh, let's do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Bud Light. They are the official beer sponsor of the Bill Michael Sports Talk Network. Love our friends at Bud Light. Hang in there with us. We'll be back. A lot more to come right after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back. Halfway through, a little more than halfway through the Bill Michael Show today. On this Wednesday, the 17th edition of the program, August 17th, broadcasting live out here in La Crosse, uh, thanks to all of our fine affiliates and the new ones that are now coming on. Those that are listening all throughout the great state of Wisconsin, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, as you see the golf course behind me, looking beautiful, getting ready to play that, coming up here in a few hours. Uh, Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers on the practice field again against the Saints. And our buddy Peter Bukowski from the Locked on Packers podcast, at Peter underscore Bukowski over on Twitter, joining us on the hotline. Peter, how you been, buddy? I am uh, I am so glad for football to finally be back. We get to talk about stuff happening on the field, Bill. Isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing? It is. Uh, it's a good time of year. It's always the significance of the end of summer. That bothers me and makes me somewhat <laughs> internally sad, but but for the most part, yes, uh, the bread and butter is back, and uh, Packers Nation is alive and well again, and now we just have to wait and see if uh, the wide receivers have the ability to be on the same page with Aaron Rodgers, because really, I, I think that's, uh, bet- over the last 24 hours, that's the story that ta- that has taken hold the most, right? It's interesting, because a couple of weeks ago, it was Rodgers, maybe less, 10 days ago. Rogers talking about, you know, Romeo Dobbs and, and, you know, love his approach and his work ethic and, and the mental side of it. And then he comes out yesterday and is, you know, saying too many mental mistakes. And, and it, look, it's, it's not just Dobbs, right? Juwan Winfrey is a young receiver. Amari Rogers is a young receiver. He, saw, he, he was saying the young receivers, that is a broad swath of guys, but he's now saying that's not good enough. And, and I think there is, you know, some people from the outside may say, Oh, well, you know, there's some inconsistency in in that. And I I don't think there is. I I think when you uh, establish yourself as a player, like Romeo Dobbs has established himself as someone who has to be dealt with defensively. Now the standard has to be elevated. If you're going to be like, it's one thing to just be a nice story in camp and become a, you know, sort of developmental asset and Oh, down the line a year or two, this guy could be a player. No, if you look like you could be a player right now, well then now you're being held to the standard of a starter. And if you're not reaching those standards, then the quarterback is going to tell you about it. And, and I kind of like Rodgers being, you know, the, this both sides of the same coin. He, you know, he's gassing Romeo Dobbs a couple, you know, however long that was ago, two weeks ago. And now he's saying, okay, now you got to get better. 
now now is is the kick in the butt. I had the arm around the shoulder. Now it's time for for the you know the carrot and the stick. You got to have it. And um, you know we'll see we'll see if he needs both of those when Christian Watson is full go out there too. Well, my next question is with Jordan Love. Uh, I know Rodgers went a long way yesterday to defend Jordan Love and to talk about <laughs> it was the receiver's fault, the drops and the wrong route. And he kept coming back to, well, the ball shouldn't have been thrown, but, you know, and I get that. Pocket collapsing, pressure on him, all of that. But <laughs> the bottom line is, as much as he wants to defend him, he threw a ball he shouldn't have thrown. He should have either eaten it or thrown it away, got outside. You see a lot of the same mistakes out of Jordan Love. Now, it's only one preseason game, and I'm not going to sit here and condemn him, but this is there's nothing here that's dynamic that I see out of Jordan Love, and everybody wants to make something out of him all of a sudden, and I just don't flat out see it. And, you know, I think to a point, I I get where you're coming from. Um, I I think what's really interesting and what's really tough, and this is something that I I spent some time on 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 Lockdown Packers the other day, is Jordan Love is trying to do so much of the fundamental work. He never played under center at Utah State. A seven-step drop, what is that? Um, pre-snap, um, setting protections. What is that? Um, he, he, it's just stuff that, that he had to learn and figure out, and he's not getting on-field reps to do it. The, the flip side of that is, and I, th- this is, I think it's just such a, it, it encapsulates all of it. The Amari Rodgers interception, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur both said, you can't throw the ball there, but the receiver ran the wrong route, and it's a bad route and a bad read, and, and Jordan Love knew that, but there was another guy running the wrong route, too. That we, have, we have not been told who that was yet. My guess is it was Josiah DeGuar on that same side because they, they had this sort of weird flood concept over there. But, but I, I hate to speculate on that. And what Matt LaFleur said was that play should have gone off schedule. Well, off schedule plays is what Jordan Love excelled at at Utah State. It's what separated him from the, the Tua's and some of these other guys in that draft class was his ability to play outside of structure and make these incredible off-platform throws, rolling to his right, a seam ball against LSU, absolutely gorgeous, rolling to his left, firing shots into the end zone on 20-yard on um, comeback routes to the pop. He has that sort of dynamic playmaking ability, but I think he is stuck right now in this in-between space where – He's trying to play on time, trying to play in rhythm, trying to internalize all of the fundamental stuff that they're trying to work with him on and that he has certainly made improvements on and balance that with, okay, if it's not there, when, when is it okay for me to, to play outside of structure? When is it okay for me to do this other stuff? And I think the reality is until he gets an opportunity to actually play in more games, um, I think that's going to be a really tough balance to strike because in practice you just don't get many opportunities to do that. And uh, I think that's the thing that, that he's dealing with right now. That, that, you know, I don't know if we're going to see playmaker Jordan Love in preseason the way that we might if he got, say, six or ten games or 16 games, 17 games to play in the regular season. Uh, and that's just the reality of being a backup quarterback. 
the uh, the offense, you're, you got new receivers, young receivers, receivers that are running the wrong routes, veteran receivers who are really not seeing the field too much as of yet. You got obviously a veteran quarterback, a shakeup on the offensive line. Your two mainstays at running back are still there. The backup to that is yet to be seen. Uh, you're working your main receiving tight end back into the mix. I can't remember a time that I saw this much flux uh, for an offense in Green Bay, I think in quite some time. Maybe you could say a little bit last year because they had to figure out things without David Bakhtiari. But for the most part, this is there, there's a lot of mix going on right now, isn't there? There is so, so much mix going on right now. Um, and it is unprecedented in the Aaron Rodgers era. Um, I, I think the only comparison is 2015. Jordy Nelson tears his ACL. Eddie Lacy is hurt and out of shape. You have injuries along the offensive line. And that was a season that the defense had to carry the day in a lot of those games. And I, I think we, we might be looking at a similar situation this season for the Packers where they're going to have to win some games 17-13. And that's not something that we're used to seeing in the Aaron Rodgers era, that the offense is going to take some time here to figure it out. Now, if Ellen Jenkins is ready to go week one and David Bakhtiari is ready to go by week three and, and Christian Watson is on the field practicing next week, you know, maybe some of this stuff gets sorted out in ways that, that we're not seeing, you know, Sammy Watkins all of a sudden is, is starting to, to really turn it on. Aaron Rodgers said he had his best practice of camp yesterday and, and is following it up again today. Um, had a, a great back shoulder touchdown catch uh, at practice. That's still going on um, right now. So, you know, maybe that, allows you to to create some some efficiency but in terms of continuity they're just not going to have it for a long time and and you're you're talking about you know um bill belichick always says you don't know who you are until thanksgiving and i think the reality for the packers is you know that that's probably an optimistic view of what this team is you you need them you certainly need them by thanksgiving but with a longer season you have a little more time um but the good news for for them is this defense I mean, the, the defense is going to be what allows this Packers offense to have some time to figure all of this out. And, it, and it's going to be a good test for what kind of leader Aaron Rodgers is and what kind of schemer Matt LaFleur is. This is when we need to see it for Matt LaFleur, when we need to get all of that creativity, when we need, we need to see, you know, they, they are they're making this, this change to more two-back sets. Aaron Rodgers said they basically can run their whole offense out of these two-back sets. It was something the Packers did fewer than 5% of snaps last year. But when they did it, they were one of the best, most efficient teams in the league with two backs on the field. So having Tyler Goodson, does that give you a little bit more um, uh, depth there with Kylan Hill out? And, and then that makes you feel more comfortable doing that. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that, that they can do flexibility-wise, but you still have to go out and execute it. And with all of this stuff happening, you know, Roger said it's nice to make these mistakes now. You hope you can you can iron this out now. Matt Lafleur said you can't make mistakes twice in the NFL. There's just not time for it. So you hope that that's what they're able to do now and get this ironed out. Probably probably not by week one, but you hope sort of by midseason. You know, Halloween would be a great time to, to really be humming offensively. 
Talking with Peter Bukowski of the Locked On Packers podcast, at Peter underscore Bukowski, joining us on the hotline. Uh, let's talk about the positive, and that has been the defense and the fact that just in the trenches alone, they've been whipping the asses of the uh, of the New Orleans Saints pretty much on a consistent basis, man. I mean, we don't even have to talk too much right now about the secondary or depth or anything. They've been winning the thing up front. Uh, is this the best they've looked in the trenches since you saw Ryan Pickett, B.J. Raji, Cullen Jenkins, Howard Green, C.J. Wilson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the answer is yes, and and it is it is the it is the deepest they have been in I don't know how long. Um, you know, because I think you look at some of these second team guys. I mean, I think T.J. Slayton is is potentially better than Howard Green. Um, I, Kenny Clark is is better than any of those guys that you just mentioned. I mean, B.J. Raji had a great season in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, but I, I think Kenny Clark at, at his best is is probably better. Um, Jaron Reed. You know, maybe in that sphere of Colin Jenkins, Colin Jenkins was awesome that Super Bowl run, and and so maybe they don't have anyone you know at that, that sort of level. But I think on the edges they have better depth with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, whereas that pass rush was mostly Clay Matthews and the Island of Misfit Toys with Eric Walden and and some of the other guys that they had to throw out there. Um, this front is is and then and then you have you throw in the, the draft pick Kingsley Anikbare who he has does basically nothing all spring and summer comes out, has this awesome game against the 49ers against backups and then follows it up with a terrific week of practice. He's been excellent. Again, had multiple sacks yesterday. If, if sacks were allowed, um, he's really coming on strong. This, this front has a chance to really, really dominate games. Um, and, and, you know, Devontae Wyatt hasn't even really come on yet. Quay Walker is still figuring it all out. I mean, Think about what this defense could be. You know, we talk about the offense taking some time. Well, the defense is going to hit the ground running, as you said, kicking ass. Um, but think about what they could be in October, November, when they're all together, if they can all stay relatively healthy with some cohesion. I mean, this defense really does have the chance to be one of the, the five best defenses in the league. The, uh, the secondary and the outside linebacking position, specifically safety and outside linebacker, the depth issues there I think are concerning. I don't think some of the backups are even on this squad as of right now. Uh, but give me your thoughts on what you've seen, if there's any depth at either the backup safety and or backup outside linebacker role. So I have I have been saying um, essentially since the spring that I think the the outside linebacker on this team is not on this team yet that it's going to be a veteran um and and maybe not even on the the first 53 when they when they open the season but but will be someone that either they trade for or does not make um you know a a 53-man roster or gets cut in the next couple weeks I I think that makes the most sense just because you have Gary and Preston Smith and that's great but you you don't really have anyone you you trust beyond that even with someone like Enigbare um, making plays in, in ways, frankly, that we really never saw Jonathan Garvin um, make them. But you have those two guys, and I think that that sets you up for a lot. I don't think that's a, a, a stressful position of need. I think the bigger one is safety because Darnell Savage has had some injury issues. He's he's um, you know missed a couple games basically every year he's played, and they don't have anyone with with real NFL experience behind them. Now Sean Davis has been a sort of a camp darling. Um, can fly around and make plays. Vernon Scott seems to be taking a little bit of a step forward. Um, even the other players talk about how different he looks and, and how well he's playing. Um, with Darnell Savage out, it's been essentially Vernon Scott as the deep safety. Um, Adrian Amos hasn't even really taken 
um, any of those single high reps. So they're, they're, I think they're thinking about these, these safeties in a more siloed approach. Do they need someone? That, that was the position in the draft bill that I was most surprised they didn't address. But there, there was a great nugget from Bill Huber over at Sports Illustrated that they have not run to his count, and this was probably a week or so ago, a single rep of dime. They just don't want to play it. They want to stay in nickel. They want to stay big and, and play with all of these fast, big guys on the field. That's why they drafted a, a Quay Walker, who's 6'4", 240, but runs in the 4'5", with Devondre Campbell and all of these other guys that, that, can, that can fly around. And we're seeing the speed. We're seeing the speed in, in practices um, and, and now in the joint practices. These guys can fly around. I think the edge rush is the bigger concern um, uh, for, from an uh, impact position standpoint. But I think in terms of the, the guys that you actually worry about, if, the, if this guy's not on the field, it changes your defense. I think that's the safety spot. Uh, they're, they're just not a lot of great options out there. So you, you kind of are just uh, on, a, on a wing and a prayer and hoping that, <laughs> that those guys can stay healthy. Hey, uh, real quick before I let you go, uh, we have not talked a lot about it, even though it is an area of major concern, and that is special teams. Uh, this team and some of these players are going to make this team because Bisaccia, one of these guys, specifically for special teams. So give me your thoughts on the special teams and what you think that turnaround may or may not be. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think the, the impact that, that Rich Bisaccia has had is, is obvious in terms of um, the, the way that they're practicing, the way this team is looking at the game. Uh, there was a great piece from Cassidy Hill and Packers News about, you know, the, the front office admitting, hey, we got we to gotta change the way that we think about this. It has been marginalized for too long. And they, they are bringing in players now, you know, Keyshawn Nixon, um, Down Leavitt, guys that were, were there just to do something on special teams that weren't, you know, that's not long snapping, kicking and punting. We know that that's, you know, going to happen. Um, and then you see the, the, the dividends in, in the, the preseason game. You have a 50-yard return from Amari Rogers. That attention to detail, just giving something attention. I mean, you, you, there's that old cliche that you are what you give your attention to. Um, and your, your, yeah, your mental state is, is the things that you focus on, right? So for the Packers, just having a, a different level of focus on it, I think, is going to have an impact on this team. Um, and, and guys are competing. I mean, I think that is something that, that you see um, sort of universally uh, in, in these reports out of practice, that guys are flying around on special teams. And Basachi is coaching them hard. I mean, Amari Rogers, he got reamed, and he was asked about it later. He said, I want to be coached. I, I want to do it right. And if I'm not doing it right, I need someone who's going to tell me because I want to do it right. And I think all these guys want to do it right. Um, and, and so I, I, I love that from, from Basachi and his players rave about him. So – I think the, the focus of it is going to be crucial. I expect them to be better in the return and the coverage game. Um, my biggest concern is what's going on with Mason Crosby because you, you have a guy in his late 30s who had some issues last year, um, has gone through streaks before in his career where he can't miss, and then some streaks where it's like I have no idea if this guy is going to make this 25-yard field goal. Um, is, is that going to be good enough? Is he going to be ready to go? I mean, we still haven't really seen him do much. So that is the place where I'm going, oh, well, I guess we're just going to have to hold our breath on this one because that's not something your coach can come in and fix. He can come in and fix the blocking 
and and maybe the bad blocking is what's speeding up the process, and that's what's screwing up Mason Crosby. And uh, you know, I don't think Mason would ever say that, but that was something Matt Lafleur talked about last year that it's actually not Mason's fault. A lot of it has to do with um, the process and and the hold and all the mechanics of it. Hopefully, that's better this year. But that's the piece that I'm most concerned about with this with this um, special teams group is what does Mason Crosby look like? Can he be the guy that in Dallas can hit two 50 yarders at an end of the game to give you a, a, a shocking win on the road? Or is he the guy in Cincinnati who's going to miss six kicks and you're going to go, what the hell's going on? Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think he very much held a high standard and took the high road and not blaming the process, process, but I think there was more to the process than it was just the guy swinging the leg. Peter, always good stuff. I appreciate it. We're going to talk again soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, pal. Talk to you soon. There you go. That is our uh, buddy Peter Bukowski of the Locked On Packers podcast, Locked On Sports Today as well. Uh, and he did a lot on Jordan Love uh, from the Friday game and such uh, over on his Twitter cast, so you can see his stuff there. Peter underscore Bukowski joining us on the hotline. Uh, Got to say thanks to our friends at Cunis RV, Wisconsin's fastest-growing RV dealer in the state by far. Good people over there at Cunis, K-U-N-E-S. Go to CunisRV.com, representing America's most reliable and best-selling RV and camper brands, such as Jayco, which, by the way, our buddy uh, Paul Chargian going to become an RVer. I was looking at his new Jayco the other day, uh, new Jayco RV. So good stuff for him. Uh, Nexus, which is what we were driving around in, Thor, beautiful vehicles, uh, Crossroads, Keystone, Winnebago, so much more. Go to Cunis, K-U-N-E-S, CunisRV.com. That is CunisRV.com. Mike Clemens, up next on the Bill Michael Show. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.